Welcome back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Kettle Menu Podcast. I'm excited to have Roger and Betsy with us today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having us, Caroline. Of course. Why don't you just start and give a little background about who you guys are and how you're involved in the agriculture industry? Yeah, so I started out in the, in the, actually in the seed stock business as a freshman in high school. Took out a small loan and bought a few cows and just kind of kept them going and took an interest in that because my mom and one of my aunts, their family had had registered Angus back in the early times. So my grandfather on that side was Arch Ginther, one of the founders of the Montana Angus Association. So had an interest in that and uh, just moved with it through that. Kept it intact through college, and uh, as as we progressed through that, we kind of we kept it rolling along and started getting increasing our numbers. Eventually, leased the ranch and eventually bought the ranch from my parents, and at that point, made it full time. And we got married in 1986, so we're celebrating 37 years this Wednesday. And I was not from a ranch before that, so. We had horses and a few 4-H project type animals, but I didn't know much about cattle at all. So it's been a a great learning learning process for me. That's a huge anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. There is something really special about just that decision to do it together no matter what it takes. And so I think that is something that's really valuable. And especially as you guys have grown your business together. So not only are you working together as spouses, but you're in business together. And you guys have a registered Angus operation that you both play a very active role. So can you guys go into a little bit about your operation and then maybe a little bit about your guys' roles inside that operation? Sure. Go ahead, Ross. Why don't you start with our mission and vision? Oh, this would be a good time for our mission and vision, for sure. And let me just preface that with saying that in 2012, we attended our first ranching for profit school. And from that, uh, we came home and developed a mission and a vision for our business, which has been really instrumental in helping us focus and make decisions for sure. Our mission is to provide genetics and services to help cattle producers attain more freedom and profitability in their business and in their life. And by freedom, we mean by helping, you know, offer cattle that can do things more on their own, more low input, then be more profitable because they require less input. So that's that's kind of our goal is our mission. Our vision is a little bit more wordy, but uh, our vision is that Enderlin Ranch is holistically managed and operated to produce healthy nutrition and environment for people, livestock, and wildlife. This is accomplished by resilience to economic and environmental factors 
and by providing opportunities and profit to all involved. It is managed and operated by a team of motivated, goal-oriented, and open-minded individuals that work together in a respectful manner. So that's our mission and our vision. And, and we have it in our meeting room where we meet with our employees Monday morning. And we have it in our kitchen. And so we see it often. <laughs> so that's a good guiding principle. Yeah. So tying into that, as far as our operation, you know, I mean, low input is almost like a buzzword. I think, I think it gets used a lot as, as a term, but I'm not sure that the practices get exercised a lot. So, you know, what, what that means to us is every management decision we make has to be measured against our mission and our vision. Um, so, so that is it working towards, towards that mission and vision? Because if it's not, then either you shouldn't be doing it or you should maybe adjust your mission or vision to, so that because that way you're always striving in a, in a certain direction. With that said, the, the low input, the idea of low input to control cost to increase the odds of profit, you know, it starts with things like ranch. What are most ranches' largest expense? And more often than not, it's winter feed expense, at least up around here. So, so then you go into the idea, well, all and feed the cattle is way more expensive than grazing. And so that would tell you then that you should try to graze more months out of the year to, to overall take minimize your cost. And then once you kind of go down the road of trying to graze more, pretty soon you'll start to realize that soil health is a big thing and growing more grass per acre is a big thing. You know, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we have focused on quite a lot. Uh, you know, I guess one, uh, in 2011, it took us an average of 21 acres per animal unit. And that's all the animals based on a thousand pound animal unit. Last year, it was 14. So that's a pretty significant improvement in overall production in that time frame. And that is even so that's a, that's a 60,000 foot calculation. You know, it's an, it, it is an estimate because there's been some changes in leases and that kind of stuff. But uh, overall, a uh, significant improvement in, in our forage production. But low input also means an animal that's able to graze. So, in our case, I'm, we've got that where, short of some major storms, we can graze year-round. And with that, that really, really minimizes our costs. But it's the right size of cow. That's one thing. The other thing is, are you calving at a time of year when it makes sense? I mean, one of the high demand periods for a cow is after she's calved and trying to regroup and, and get bred. And why not do that? Why not do that when the grass is growing rather than rather than trying to get that done in March and April? So anyway, it's matching your production cycle a little bit more with the natural growth cycle of the grasses. And so that's that's really what that's come down to. But having the right genetics is a key component of that. And you just there's so much maintenance energy that goes into a fifteen hundred pound cow. They literally, unless it's, you know, standing corn or something, they probably won't be able to meet their maintenance requirements as well as their reproduction requirements um, in most most range conditions during the winter months. 
So it's trying to match trying to match those match those up and literally makes for a, a really, really big savings. Also in labor, I mean we don't we calve where we have good grass. So we don't need calving barn. Well I mean we'll use a maternity pen and and we start panels, but we start yeah. our due date is early May, so you know, weather's not too much of an issue. It can be a little bit, but very minimal compared to February, March calving. And so that way we can just continue to work on our grazing. That's our soil health right through calving and, and take the cows to wherever there is good grass and calve them there. And also, I mean, it also the low input side is just eliminating trouble free or trouble cattle, cattle. So our two year old heifers will join the cow herd 10 days ahead of calving and calve with the cow herd. No night checks. It's their job to do, to be a mom and, and carry on. And so we've had very good success with that. So I don't know that that's kind of goes into what we, what, how we think low input and how it ties back to our mission and vision and the overall profitability of the operation. Let's talk a little bit about your mission and vision. I would say 5% of ranches, maybe 10% of ranches have a written mission and vision statement. And I think when we look at other businesses, one of the things that I often get in trouble for saying is that agriculture has to be a little bit more like a corporate America. Not in all the senses, but we have to run things like a mission statement, a vision, core values, business meetings, goals, all of that. And what has that done for you guys as an operation to have that written down and have it really visible and really easy for everyone on the team to know exactly where you're headed? I think one thing this this past year, we were in search of a full-time employee. And I think, I mean, I guess I never asked, but I would think that would give them a sense of who we were and what we were trying to do. And if, if they agreed with those things, then that might be a good fit. And I don't know, what else do you think? Well, the other thing, it's like a lot, like quite a few things, but it, it just strikes me that we, we don't get in a vehicle and go someplace without, if, we, if it's someplace we aren't certain of or it's not very, very common or local, you know, we're going to look at a map or we're going to, you know, we're going to pull it up on our phone or even back in the day, we'd actually look at a map and say, well, where are we going and where do we have to turn? And, you know, is that gravel road or is it interstate? I mean, and so all those things make a difference in your journey. And it's common sense to think that if you have written your goals out and thought about them and discussed them, and especially discussion among those involved and especially between a couple, uh, that really just means that you're in some agreement and have had some discussion about what is the ultimate direction. So yeah, I think it simplifies a lot of that working together because you've kind of already ironed some of that out ahead of time. Why you're going where you're going. Right. Yeah. It does. It answers the why. Yeah. The vision. And it may adjust. It it may very well adjust over time and maybe does need to be revisited. But I agree that it's a, a vital component to a successful business. I think the other thing, too, is 
it helps often with the yes or the no. And it almost is like, okay, any decision we're trying to make in an operation, does it help us get closer to this or farther away? And I think sometimes as people in agriculture, we struggle with a little bit of the pressure of the trends, whether we're conscious of it or not, right? It's always kind of like, well, look, the neighbor decided to ship their calves a little bit earlier. Should we consider that? Or the vet talked to us about, you know, three rounds of shots versus two, like all of these things. There's always new things out there. There's always kind of this pressure of making sure that we're doing exactly what we need to do, but also we're not getting behind technology. I mean, all of that. And I think with a really good mission and vision, you can kind of present those ideas and say, does this get us one step closer or does this get us one step farther? And it's almost a really easy way to say, hey, we're not interested in that. It just doesn't fit our mission. Like it almost gives the reason to be able to say yes or no to some of those things that might be harder conversations or harder decisions. And I think that, I mean, I think that can be very powerful to ranches. And so I encourage all the listeners, if you don't have a mission and vision, I really think that you should consider writing one down. It helps with goals, but I just think it's very visible. I've been in your guys' house. It's right there. I mean, it's everyone who walks in can see it, especially at your bull sale. It's right there. Everyone knows exactly what you guys are working on and which direction you're headed. Are you looking for a way to build your confidence working cattle in a low-stress environment? We're hosting three She's a Hand Ranch Camps in Montana in 2024, and now is the time to apply. You can join us on April 24th through 28th, May 23rd through 27th, or October 10th through 14th in 2024. At our Women's Only Camp, you will learn the hands-on skills we're expected to know but never taught. Each camp is limited to 14 spots, and they are filling fast. You can apply today at cattlevenuelive.com backslash she's dash a dash hand dash ranch dash camp. We're accepting applications on a rolling basis, so you can get your spot within 24 hours of applying. And one of the unique things that you guys have done that not a lot of ranches, um, well, not a lot of seed stock operations are doing is a bull leasing program. And I'm not sure exactly when that started, but we can kind of go into that a little bit. I think one of the unique things that I've noticed in your program is the bulls that have been leased out, they hold their own in the average of the sale. Sometimes they're even averaging higher than the bulls that haven't been leased out. So let's talk a little bit about how you guys started that program, why you decided it was a good fit and how that program, how leasing out those bulls before the sale has really affected, you know, the end dollar and the program in general. Yeah, I'm going to back up just for a second, just to hone in on the uh, on the mission and vision. I mean, you're exactly right, because we're low input. We say we're low input. So when we look at another input, we judge that against our mission and, and say, is it? You know, our mission mentions genetics. So if we want to genetically improve our cattle, then sometimes we have to take the crutches away and let the chips fall where they may because we're a seed stock producer and that's what we're promoting. And we want to continue to make progress genetically along those lines with some of the, I guess, convenience traits. 
And so that's, you're exactly right. That, that mission and vision plays right into how we make those decisions and how we can justify that. Or it could be easy to give them a pour on and cover up the lies and internal parasites, but you know what? We're in it for a longer term. So yeah. Anyway. On to the, the bull leasing. I forget what year we started and we've just done had done a small amount and still we do some years we do a small amount and some years more. This year's been more. So we lease yearling bulls for heifers, for use on heifers, virgin heifers. And typically we lease them for 60 days and we like to have them back by September 1st and eventually end up in our sale that's in December. But when they get back, they're quarantined for three weeks and then they go through our biosecurity protocol, which is on any animals, any bovine that come to our place, and especially the least return bulls. If I could remember everything they're tested for, trichomoniasis, brucellosis, anaplasmosis, glucosis, whatever our vet thinks is a valid concern, we test for along with the quarantine. And that way we do that in an effort to be sure that there are not any disease threats for when we resell them in our sale. So, but, you know, by being leased out, they've gained experience. They know what a heifer is. <laughs> they kind of know what to do. So since most of our, I think typically about 75% of the bulls in our sale, we we consider heifer bulls. So then we typically have quite a few that could be leased for use on heifers. And it's a real advantage to a rancher who, you know, might be keeping heifers back this year, or maybe they bought some heifers, speculating to breed them and then sell bred heifers this fall. You know, but they might not do that every year, so they don't want to buy a bull that they're going to have around and only really need them the one year. So it's, it's well for them, I think. I think it is. I think it's a convenience for them. You know, if, if you kept an extra 100 heifers, you don't want to have an extra four heifer bulls around necessarily. And so why not do that one time? And, be done with it and uh, yeah I, I think it's giving people options is, is part of our program and if there seems to be a, a need we'll try to fill it are you surprised that the leased bulls have been so well received by your customers in your sale um a little bit but not a huge amount because we we had a very very discussion with our uh, veterinarian about what the implications would be and the fears that some people might be. And she really felt that that stigma was sort of on its way out of, of having to have virgin bulls. And she believes... As long as there's testing. As long as there's testing. Yeah. So she believes that we know enough about diseases and that combined with quarantines that we can mitigate the risks through that process. And turns out she was 100% right and then some. So, but it takes a leap of faith, you know, to, to do that. The interesting thing to me that I felt is it's almost like the lease bulls had someone else's stamp of approval on them. And it's really interesting when, when you sit down at a bull sale, and I see this happen all the time. And you're the first person to bid and then, you know, no one else bids for a minute. You almost ask yourself, did I miss something? You know, 
did I not see something? What is everyone else seeing that I didn't see? And when those bulls in your program say that they were leased bulls, it's almost as if that gave them the stamp of approval. Someone else thought this bull was good enough to breed to their heifers. And so I'm wondering if that's not, if people don't even really think about that consciously, but I think that might play a role. It's almost like this bull has someone else's stamp of approval. And so if I liked it and they did too, then it's a good reason for me to own it. Right. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I wouldn't know that there's there's something to that, uh, to that psychologically, subconsciously. It's like, okay, yeah. This bull has experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Internet. knows how to breed cows, isn't good, you know, can get the job done, already kind of broken in. And so I just, whenever I sit in your sale, it makes me wonder that because I know, you know, when I, even on the feeder calf side, you'll sit in the sale bar and you'll be the first person to bid. No one else is bidding. They're in your ticket, you know, right in your budget. And you're thinking, am I missing something? And so it's almost like, okay, someone else likes this bull too. Someone else has used this bull. It will work for my ranch. And so I think that's a really interesting concept. The other thing I think is it has to really improve the bottom line on raising these bulls and being able to sell these bulls when you can lease them out once and then sell them in the sale. And I think as seed stock producers, we have to get creative. And that is one way that you guys have been able to earn a second income from some of these animals. Right. That is true. There's, there is a lot of expense associated with it. The, the testing when they come back and then, you know, we deliver and we pick up. So there's, there's a lot of cost alongside of it as well. And then, you know, if one dies, that's, we kind of, that's kind of our deal. So, so if you figure in all those costs, it is definitely worth doing and it, it does help the bottom line for sure, but it's not, not just all profit. That's for sure. It's also though, I mean, it, it also, in some cases it's, it's a, it's a customer we may not have come in contact with otherwise. So it, it actually does expand our market a little bit, potentially, and, and allows us to get to customers' places that, at a different time of year than we normally would. So as well as the cash flow perspective is, is absolutely real. So, yeah, those things all add up. Um, I, I wouldn't build... From our experience, it kind of ebbs and flows a little bit with the cattle cycle on how many heifers are to breed. And drought conditions. And drought conditions yeah. as well. But I, so I wouldn't try to build a, a standalone business around it, but it's, it's a good program for us. It fits our, fits us well. It's a little bit of a customer service to help yeah. them in those years when they do have a lot of heifers, but yeah. yep. don't have all the bulls. It's also, I mean, you, it's pretty hard to do if you're just selling yearling bulls in the spring. So you kind of have to be in that aged advantage bull category to consider leasing them first before your sale type of thing. So, so yeah, there's, it won't fit for everybody on either side, the seed stock producer or the person breeding heifers. Uh, some people just want to have them. So <laughs> personal choices. Absolutely. But it's certainly something that you should run the numbers on for your own operation, both as the leasee or the leaser you know, and see if it fits, if it's going to fit for your program, if it's an option. And because you guys have done it fairly successfully. And I think that, 
in the seed suck world, if you mention leasing a bull, a lot of people just close the door. I mean, they're not interested in even having that conversation. And I think you guys have proved that in the right situation, on the right years, it can work. It can help increase. It can be a marketing tool. Uh, it can be a customer service tool. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to it. And you just have to decide if it's right for you guys in your operation. One of the things that we get a lot of questions about, and this is a challenging question, but you guys, the way you ranch low input is a buzzword, right? We're hearing that more and more nowadays in operations, but you guys truly believe in this. And, you know, one of the things that Joe Goggins says at all the sales, right, is it's a sleep all night type of heifer bull. And there's some benefit to that. There is some, you know, things we talk about in that. But what he's getting at is you don't have to be there all the time on this one. And when you guys hire employees, I can only imagine the culture shock. If they have come from a conventional ranch and they're coming to work on your guys's operation, because you have set yourself apart, you do things a little bit differently. What do you wish employees knew? Do you wish they took some training? Like, if someone wants to come and work for an operation like your guys, but they're in a very standard ranch job right now, how do they gain the knowledge about some of these practices that you guys do in order to be able to kind of move into that regenerative, all of that? It's a hard question. You know, thinking back to what we put on our little flyer we did when we were looking for an employee last winter, Honestly, the two biggest things to us are attitude and effort. And experience is a bonus. But if someone just has an open mind, I believe we can train most people. Now, that said, we, we did hire someone that had quite a bit of experience, and especially in the regenerative world. Um, so that was that was awesome. That was a perfect fit. But I don't know, Raj. I think we could also could shift the question a little bit to, you know, what is what about a ranch operation that's thinking about some alternatives? Because I think I think there's a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of people at least getting, having some second thoughts or questions or else a younger generation is wanting to come home and there's, there's discussions about, well, could we change this or change that? And, and so I think that, all of the, there's grazing seminars, there's ranching for profit school, which is, I think is a vital component to, so you know if you're going to make the right decision financially or not, or economically. And then beyond that, the grazing schools and uh, different kinds of soil health workshops and stuff, winter grazing seminars and things like that to, to go to and get educated. And then I think that needs to be followed up with on-site visits and discussions with people who are at least started down that road or if not doing it and picking their brain and seeing what what worked for them and what didn't work. And it can help avoid a lot of mistakes, I think, by that. Sometimes the school of hard knocks is okay, but there's a limit to how many of those you can afford as well. So I don't advise just transitioning just because. I think it needs to be thorough and thoughtful and, and try to get a uh, as much education along those lines as you can and try to find some people who are willing to have that discussion and be real honest with what they how they think it would apply in your particular operation. I think those kind of 
those kind of thoughts is what really would ensure that you could venture into things and try different things and start down that road. The other people we have that help us on the ranch, the past few years we've had employee or apprentices through the Quivira Coalition. So they are here from March through right after our bull sale. So like through typically through the 10th of December. And that's called the New Agrarian Program. And typically those people are young adults. Most have graduated from college with a degree. It might be in English. It might be engineering, you know, anything. We've had a big wide spectrum. But they want to learn about where their food comes from. And they don't necessarily know anything about agriculture or ranching. But they want to learn. and we've. We've really enjoyed having those young people here and, you know, it, it does take a lot of time entering, but, you know, when they ask you questions and you have to answer them, you really ask yourself, well, why are we doing that? You know, so it, it's good reflection about the things we're doing, but we've, we've been doing that for four years and it's been really successful, but it does take some patience at time. But by the end of that time period, those people are, are really capable. I mean, they're not capable of managing a ranch by any means, but they're capable of moving electric fence, you know, looking at animals' health, looking at the grass and, you know, knowing when they need to be moved and or irrigating the things that we kind of do day to day. So that's, that's been a really rewarding and a great, you know, way to have people doing things because we can't get to it all. So. And I think they've also become pretty big ambassadors amongst young people about agriculture in general. So I think they really develop an understanding that they can then explain to other people. A lot of them, the program's been going on for probably longer than we've been involved, but ones that we know of are are still in agriculture and many in Montana. So that's kind of cool to see them still involved and in agriculture and, you know, being a, a key person in, in an operation. Are you wanting to start a cattle operation or learn new hands-on skills? Our team knows it's hard to find resources when it comes to learning how to vein cattle or how to brand or even what you need in your vet kit. If you're wanting to learn those skills and more, you won't want to miss this year's Profit Finder. With access to over 25 videos and resources, you can learn hands-on skills from the comfort of your own operation. We created this toolbox for any cattle producer just starting out. We went back to the basics and explained everything from the ground up. You can join the waitlist today and learn more at cattlemenulive.com backslash profit finder. Okay, the last um, kind of in-depth question we have before we get to the lightning round of questions. This is a fun question. I think that, I mean, you guys work alongside each other every day and have for a long time. And that's really challenging. And a lot of the listeners would like to work with their spouse. So how is it working alongside your spouse every day? And what advice or tips and tricks do you have for husbands and wives out there that are working alongside each other in agriculture, trying to figure it out? We definitely have our challenging moments as as any couple working together in any industry does, I'm sure. 
The one phrase that has struck me that I try to remember is listening to understand and not to respond, to give the other person a chance to, you know, explain it and really try to be present while they're talking and listening and understand what they're saying and not just be formulating your reply at the same time. So that's that's been good for me and I need to remind myself of that daily if not more but but I I honestly think about doing the mission and vision together that's very team building and bonding and the openness of all that and then and we and we learned a lot of this through the ranching for profit school and looking at our gross margins and the financial and economic end of it I think communication is the biggest one. I guess all those things I mentioned talked about the communication. Yeah, it really is. But I, I mean, also, I mean, Betsy always says that we'll get along fine as long as I just do what she says to do. But that's the case in point. Always have and remember to not be afraid to have a light side and look at the humor. And, you know, be able to smile about things, even if it's really not. But you can find some little part of that that is kind of funny, and I think I think that's important to remember as well. So, yeah, you got to be careful with that because you do run the risk of really making somebody mad if you appear to be making fun of them. So, if timing is everything along those lines, you know. <laughs> I could probably think of a few. But you, you know, however, it might be the most serious thing you do is your spouse. Your relationship is probably the most vital component of the whole operation. So it's kind of hard to make light of that. And you shouldn't make light of it, but you should be able to take moments out of that and enjoy it. So, One thing that has helped me quite a bit is we have, as I mentioned earlier, a Monday morning meeting with employees and apprentices. And we have a, a whiteboard in our where we meet and we use dry erase markers and write on there, you know, kind of what we need to get done this week. What are the big rocks, you know, if you will, to kind of put in first, those are the things we need to make sure we get done. And these are the other things that can fill in. Having that written in front of us. And I think it gives everybody something to reflect on and go to, but just that communication. Because if it, if, if it was just us, which sometimes it is, mm-hmm. That doesn't happen necessarily as much. That way, I don't have to wonder, like, oh, I wonder, wonder what you're doing, and right. wonder what I'm doing. It's sort of a thing. So we're kind of on the the same page. I think communication and is it all huge. Boils, it all boils down to communication, and also proper communication. If you're really in a crappy, crappy mood, and that's not the time to try to communicate about the problem, you should. You know, at least count to 10, maybe walk in a circle or whatever it takes to just pause before you tie into the problem. Because if emotions are high, that's when things are going to go sideways. Absolutely. Yeah, count to 10 before you respond. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I think that's incredibly helpful. Let's go into the fun question so you both can answer them. Um, what is your favorite cut of steak and how do you like it? I like the tenderloin medium, pretty much medium. It's the most tender. 
And if you're going to a restaurant, it's consistently pretty good. I mean, you you know, odds are it's going to be good. And that's so that's the one I always order or would like to eat at home. If, but we don't eat those very often because there's not very many of them for one thing. And, and we do still have a small beef business and those are the ones that can be easily sold. So we don't eat those very often. What's yours, Raj? I like a sirloin because it tends to have more beef flavor. Uh, I like them all medium, but if I'm more hungry or if I, if I have more of an appetite, I'll want a ribeye. But with all that said, I'll take a hamburger any day. So great. Yeah. Uh, all over the board. Carolyn. Yeah, right. <laughs> what is an ag industry topic that you think needs talked about in the media more often? An ag industry topic. So I'll give you some, some people have said like the labor issue, succession planning, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think that is, I guess, I guess I really believe that the consolidation, consolidation in the ag business is huge. And I think that really should be a little more out in the open, which is a little bit difficult because they're also major sponsors of most everything that goes on and that's very much on purpose um so i think uh, a little bit more openness what's the other word for um transparency about what it's really like in the corporate world and how those decisions are made i think a little more deep dive into some of that kind of stuff could be helpful for for everybody I have a little bit different answer, and mine would be thinking about the nutrient density of our foods and how that ties to human health and, you know, how that ties back to soil health and then the health of forage or, or plants that we're eating and also the plants that, you know, our cattle and, and other species are eating and, and how that all ties to human health. I think I think that's a huge topic that we're going to have to deal with in the future. Great. Those are both great answers. I wholeheartedly agree with that as well. Okay. So the next question is, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Hmm. I, I think back to a quote, so maybe it's not really a piece of advice, but a quote, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. That's one that I... I think I just think mindset just has so much to do with what you can do. So whoever said that, I guess that would be the advice they gave me, and they didn't know it. But that's a tough one. And as far specifically, I, I think I think uh, being patient, trying to be patient, and especially as we delve into you know our low input model and stuff, a lot of that's a, a lot of natural systems aren't. There's not an over overnight or even a over growing season. Being patient to see see results sometimes is is really really paramount, and and have, having that patience. The other one, which would have actually came from from Williams, would have been he's you know he's seen a lot of people go broke with too many cows, but he's never seen anybody go broke with too much grass or too much money. So I, I think kind of reflecting on those kind of comments is, is, yeah. 
Perfect. Okay, the last one. This one's supposed to be fun. If you were not ranchers or doing anything that you're doing right now, what is your non-career dream job? So do you ever think to yourself, wow, that would be kind of fun to do? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think we're blessed because we like what we do. You know, we've done things in the meantime so that we could ranch. So we had had other careers of sorts became we before we came back into ranching full time. So we've traveled a lot and seen a lot of different things. So yeah, I, I guess my experience tells me that our lifestyle and our agricultural lifestyle and what we do is actually the envy of the world. So I'm pretty darn happy with where, where we're at. <laughs> Which is a cop out, I know, Caroline, but that's that's the best I can come up with. Anyway, you know, we're thinking about retirement, and and honestly, we can set our own schedule. And I, in a way, I feel like we're kind of retired in a way, like because we set our own schedule, and what we're doing is for ourselves. And uh, yeah, it's which is probably why most ranchers do what they do. It's it's a great uh, way to raise your family and you know be out. With nature. Yeah, it's, I can't complain either. I am intrigued with sailing, however. So, I mean, it wouldn't bother me too much to learn to sail and fly and sail different places. I mean, I think those kind of things would certainly be fun. Yeah, and see, we that's, may be able to accomplish that. So. That's a perfect answer. Someone else said, who was a rancher, they said um, their dream job would be a steak tester. Like anytime they come out with oh, a new cut of steak. You know, the baseball cut, which came out not that long ago, but uh, they said, I would love to have been in the room when they first put that on the grill and I got to taste it compared to the other options and talk about, you know, the preferences and why it tastes a little different. And so it's just all these little, you know, little things that we think about and maybe they're not our calling, but like, I would love to know how to make a great coffee, like in a little coffee hut. I was like, wouldn't it be fun in a small town? You know everyone who pulls up. You can have, you know, ask them how their day is going and you know how to make just a perfect cup of coffee. So I just always laugh about that. But I think flying, as you know, my grandma flies an airplane. I've always thought flying would be fun. And there's actually a K-Rose team member who spent a good chunk of time on a boat. And so I can't remember if they did sailing. I'm pretty sure. But I think both of those, you should try them. Yeah, I think that would be great additions to your little resume right. that you have. Right. <laughs> well, right. I appreciate your guys' time today. I think what you are doing in the industry, you are way above the curve in the time. And so I appreciate all the years of struggle that I know it's been kind of doing things differently than everyone else. So thanks so much. I know you have a sale coming up this year. So we'll put all of those details in the show notes for everyone. And we encourage people to follow along with you guys. And I know you love visitors. So if anyone's listening and they want to come up and see your operation, I know that you guys, um, you love to show people around and what you guys are doing out here. I love to show people cattle and grass and just talk about those philosophical things sometimes. So okay. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and if, if anybody would love to we, our website is uh, indrelandranch.com, which I'm sure you'll have in the show notes as well. And our sales December 4th. And when our Angus are going to be in the area this year. So we have a stop. Yeah, uh, September 20th. September 20th. Uh, Mid-morning stop on Angus tour. So yeah. we'll have most all of our cow herd and 
all together there. And we're going to pull bulls out that day. So they'll be penned up shepherds, but they'll be coming out of the cows that morning. So yeah. perfect. So yeah. Encourage people to look into that or join up for the Angus tour if they can or get to our bull sale. Absolutely. And we'll share all of that. And thank you guys so much for your time today. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, we appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to the Cattleman U podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember the grass is greener where you water it.